Chapter Twenty Seven and Three Quarters. First String. Perkins insists that the promotion of Weasley to acting minister can only help the newly reopened misuse of Muggle artifacts department. In the old days, it was just me and Arthur alone in this here office, says Perkins, gesturing to the small, crowded room that is now solely his. But now that he's up there, we've got a lot of new interest, a fair crop of new workers, even volunteers, helping us keep the war damage from the Muggles. Eloise? Eloise Midgen held up her left hand to stave off whoever was hovering about her desk. Deadline, 5.30. Hold on. With recovery efforts moving ahead at the expected rate, Perkins says it won't be long before he can get back to what he sees as the most important part of his job. Got to keep those screaming tea-kettles away from the muggles, he laughs. Screaming tea-kettles, shrinking keys, ah, the good old days. Ten minutes to spare. Eloise relaxed slightly, and her breath released in her chest as she placed her signature flourish at the bottom of the parchment to mark the end of the article. She rushed towards the features desk without looking back to see who had interrupted her. Here, artifacts, sixteen inches. Leon Price ran an approving eye over the text. Good, good, yes, very good, okay. He thrust it into the hands of an editor who just happened to be walking by, and Eloise groaned inwardly to see John Prattleby holding her day's work, a smirk settling on his face. Edit that. Five minutes, Leon barked, then fled to the arts desk. Rumson, get your head out of your arse. I need that story, now. Well, well, Prattleby scanned the article. Misuse of muggle artifacts, huh? Eloise nodded, fixing a smile and hoping Prattleby wouldn't notice its insincerity. A nervous twitch started in her temple. So old Perkins is finally head of his department. Good on him. Looks like a good story, Midgen. I'll get right on it. He turned to walk away, eyes still glued to the parchment, and Eloise exhaled, unwilling to believe she'd gotten away unscathed. Midgen, called Prattleby, from halfway across the newsroom. Nothing from the minister? Pity, the story could use it. Better luck next time with your Weasley friends, eh? A low chorus of snickers started through the room. I... Uh, right... Eloise kept her head down as she turned, trying to shake her ringlets in front of her reddening face. Her desk seemed a mile away, and she slumped toward it. She had thought the others would have given up on her by now, that after almost six months of toiling on stories called New Aurors Begin Training and Florian Fortescue Finances Confectionery, they'd see that if nothing else she was trying. She had thought they'd have realized that that first story, back in June, was a fluke, that she had only spoken to Harry because Jinny had been there, and had only spoken to Jinny because Colin had been there. She'd hoped that these people, who were supposed to be her colleagues, would have realized that she never missed a deadline, and that she worked sixty hours a week. She had hoped they would have realized by now that she hadn't been hired because she almost knew Harry Potter. She'd been wrong. The tiny cubicle was a riot of parchment and scribbles, Eloise stretched her hands out to clean up, but her breath caught and her eyes unfocused, and she realized she was crying. Don't, stupid, don't do that, she whispered to herself, only succeeding in dislodging a stream of tears. You didn't need the minister. 
you don't go bothering the minister of magic for stupid articles about his old office they're wrong someone nearby cleared his throat and eloise snapped her head up to see colin creevy standing in front of her desk his camera tucked under his arm avoiding her gaze sorry i can come back no no said eloise hurriedly swiping under her eyes so furiously that the quill she had been holding slid from her fingers and hit colin in the chest nub first ow oh colin i'm sorry eloise exclaimed putting her hands to her face in horror but colin just met her eyes and started laughing don't laugh i'm sorry i hurt you i'm terrible i'm just so distracted really it's fine colin's laughter only redoubled when he saw the massive ink splotch travelling down his robes i think you missed your calling though ever hear of darts eloise blinked darts there it's not important i'll take you to a muggle pub one of these days and show you he said then suddenly coughed and turned his head eloise briefly imagined herself walking into a muggle pub with colin and felt her head go light she clamped her hands harder to her face so colin's face was still slightly pink from the coughing fit are you done for the night once prattleby gets through massacre i mean editing my story yes you i'm just waiting for a few pictures to develop he stared at her for a moment and mitson wants me to be here when they place them he pushed back his hair and i should restock the camera the flush had begun to rise back into his cheeks he looked as if he was about to start hacking again and eloise thought about running for a glass of water so maybe have you eaten eloise flopped into her chair she must look really peaked if colin had taken to asking vague questions about her health no i forgot it was this story oh i'm so glad it's done but don't worry i'll be okay i won't starve myself or anything though i make her someone she said peering at prattleby who looked to be gleefully making slash marks all across her article colin laughed again his hair shaking down around his eyes eloise almost sighed no you won't you'd never he thrust his hands into his pockets and looked at the floor anyway i'll be over there he gestured toward his desk which was right outside the dark room and eloise wished she sat closer to the photography section and and l he was wrong eloise watched him walk the full length to his desk before she realized what he said and started smiling despite the knot in her gut he was always so reassuring often she didn't know what she'd do without colin's presence in the newsroom and he did seem to always be there the same as she was she didn't know why she spent so much time there she had never been part of those last-minute deadlines that made it such an exciting place but she'd been able to help during a few times on fact-checking and the like and that was enough on most days she couldn't think of a place she'd rather be but then worthless idiots like prattleby made nasty comments and she felt like running back to her flat for a bubble bath and a nice long book that is until colin turned up and showed her a picture or asked about her latest story and she decided to stick around just for a few more minutes she had certainly not expected him to show up at the prophet she hadn't ever expected to see him again not after what had happened to his brother 
She had been on the Hogwarts lawn, halfway around the lake, when it had happened, and remembered the cold sweep of events far too clearly. In retrospect, it had been lucky she was there. After all, few six years had been able to produce a Patronus, however feeble, and a second year had nearly been kissed before a hard-earned shadow of Eloise's protector, now a wide white swan, discouraged the advancing Dementor. But then a vicious and terrible thing had risen from the sunken banks of the lake, and other second years hadn't been as fortunate. So when Colin had been hired, just two days after Eloise, it came as a friendly shock. Her sister had come in that day from London, where she was trying to make it as an actress, squib or not. Beatrice had always had a magic way with tall, gorgeous men, which was probably because she was tall and gorgeous herself, and had always been. With wide blue eyes and long blonde hair that reached her slim hips, Beatrice resembled a muggle version of Avila. Just a few years ago, Eloise would have traded every bit of her own magical blood to look like that. She still felt silly that she had ever entertained such thoughts. "'El, who is that?' her sister had breathed. Beatrice had perched, legs crossed, atop Eloise's just-cursened desk, and pointed one high-heeled shoe at the young man who had just entered the newsroom. Eloise hadn't a clue. She had never seen him before, though it was clear they were similar in age and should have gone to school together. He did have a familiarity about him, but she couldn't place it, certainly not on his broad shoulders and easy posture. No one at Hogwarts had looked like that. Midgen! Leon had bellowed, and Eloise, not yet used to being addressed by her last name, had actually wondered who Midgen was before she jumped up and scurried over to the features desk. The click-clack of heels behind her said her sister had followed. Meet our new photographer, Colin Creevy. I... you're not... I mean... Colin! She had said it in such disbelief that she felt like she might have insulted him, but Colin had just let his jaw drop and answered with an equally astonished, Eloise, that had made her giggle with embarrassment and delight. Then you do know each other. Good. Creevy's going to take Harry Potter's picture. Go with him, but let him go first. Here, questions. Leon had shoved a small scroll into her hands, and a vaguely shocked Eloise had realized she was being assigned her first interview. And it was with Harry Potter, which meant it would most likely go on the front page. She thought she'd be ill. "'Does he know we're coming?' she'd asked timidly. Leon had laughed. "'On my desk at five, he said, and stalked off. She must have looked terrified, because Colin had instantly assured her that he'd clear the interview with Harry first. Someone coughed from behind her, and Eloise rushed to introduce her sister, exulting privately at the way Colin shook her hand and then turned back, barely noticing the blast of charm Beatrice had tried to send his way. Eloise had wondered if Colin knew what a gentleman he was. We should wait a while before going, just to make sure they're awake. Feel like filling me in on some of the things I've missed around here? Eloise had ushered Beatrice out of the office quite quickly, then sat with Colin at her desk and tried to catch him up. She'd been shocked at how very mature and how very different he'd seemed. They hadn't spoken often at school. He was just the squeaky little kid who took all the pictures. He was also two years her junior, but before that first lunch was over, 
she felt as if there was no age difference at all between them if anything she was intimidated by the professional know-how colin had picked up during his apprenticeships at muggle newspapers which turned out to come in useful if he hadn't been at the harry interview she might have died of nerves and if he hadn't been around the newsroom after her story ran reassuring her that the stares she was getting from other reporters were fueled by jealousy she might have quit altogether a sharp crack followed by a loud chorus of groans snapped eloise back to consciousness and she jumped so high she banged her knees on the underside of her desk as she rubbed the pain out of her legs she saw that the cry had come from the sports section where a good handful of reporters were bunched around the wireless listening to the cannons game half the newsroom was scurrying over to the wireless now and eloise jumped up to join everyone she could barely hear over their anxious voices what happened Shh! listen sounds like someone was hurt hope it was boomer Shh. a sober voice fuzzed through the transmission marie knight has experienced damage to her cranium and to her neck and must recover fully before she plays another game not knight the cannons are through through it's a curse a bloody curse bet boomer did it he's been responsible for fifteen of twenty injuries on opposing teams this season yeah and about ninety-five percent of their saves who are they going to get to replace her doylan's the alternate but he might as well be chasing bludgers for how good he is you might as well pay up now mate told you the kestrels would come through by way of murder you raging arse i never said it would be easy eloise stood on the peripheral of the group listening hard for word on night cranium and neck injuries sounded like she had taken a bludger to the head and eloise wondered how she could possibly survive such a blow or if she'd be permanently damaged because of it perhaps there was some research on injuries she could do to help out the sports section would surely be forced to redesign and expand their coverage now that something so astounding had happened at least there were still five hours until final deadline she walked toward the sport desk where jim scrine the front page editor and timothy kramer the sports editor bowed their heads in conversation five more inches should do it i'll contact our guy at the game let him know he's got two hundred and fifty more words said kramer and we'll need a backup piece on night and who's ever responsible for the hit Scrine nodded, and then looked up and saw Eloise standing in front of him. Midgen, features, yes? I'm, yes. Five hundred words on Marine Knight. Can you have it ready in an hour? Of course she can. Leon had stepped up behind Eloise before she could open her mouth to stutter. Sweeney'll help with the backup. Go on, Leon urged, and Eloise turned away, dazed. She'd just got a front-page story, and it wasn't on Harry Potter. Kramer, are you there? A frantic voice bellowed through a receiver on Kramer's desk. Kramer sprinted toward it, knocking over a few stacks of paper in the way. Go ahead, McCall. We know about night. What else is going on over there? The entire newsroom had gone still. Someone clicked off the wireless. They had to strain to hear the reporter over a growing roar in the background. It's bedlam. No one knows what's going on. Boomer hit a bludger to Knight's head. The cannons are demanding he be put down. I'm, I'm going to need ten more inches at least. You've got them. It's going front page. What else is happening over there? Wait. Oh, bloody Merlin. Is that... Hey, you. Was that Potter? Potter? McCall, did you say Potter? What's this got to do with Potter? Harry Potter just walked onto the pitch. He's talking to Oliver Wood. 
He's what? He's second reserve? Kramer, Potter is second reserve. But he's not on the roster. Kramer rummaged around on his desk and produced a thick stack of crumpled parchment. He flipped the cover back and Eloise caught sight of an orange logo with a large C on it. McCall, he's not on the roster. What are they playing at? He's not on the roster. You don't say. Why isn't he on the roster? Apparently they were trying to keep it from the press. Kramer snorted and Eloise stifled a giggle. He's going into the changing room. Yeah, the team just took him into the changing rooms. Looks like he's going to be put in. The fans don't seem to realize it. I've got to go. Maybe you should make it 20 inches. I'll check in later. The receiver clicked off. There was a beat of silence, and then the newsroom erupted. Where are my stats? We need a new front page. Hell, we need a new back page. Get me that fact sheet on fouls. Get me coffee. Now. Eloise had never seen the prophet like this, not even when the Weasley versus Malfoy story had come in near midnight. It was like Potter Central. Everyone seemed to pull themselves off whatever they'd been doing, no matter how important the previous mission. Parchment flew through the air, reporters bandied reference books about, little-known trivia about Harry was regurgitated with lightning speed and frightening accuracy, exactly who his friends and relatives were, what he'd done in the war, how long it had been since he played Quidditch. Eloise even noticed, with no small measure of surprise, a packet passed around holding stats from Harry's Hogwarts games. But she still didn't know what to do with herself. She had just been assigned a story, and she was already through her opening paragraph. A piece on Maureen Knight was an easy job for any decent Quidditch fan, but one look at the front-page editor's desk told her something else important was about to be decided. Leon... Scrine and Kramer were having some sort of conference, and instinct said not to go far. She rested her quill for a moment and listened. So, we run McCall's game piece and a feature on Potter. It'll be a miracle if we can get near him, said Wong. He won't do post-game interviews like everyone else. I need to know whether to leave room for the story, said Scrine, frowning at Leon. Who can get it? Flummery? Leon humphed. One, she just did a story on Azkaban, he said, and grimaced, and that's enough front-page time for her for a while. Two, no, Potter won't talk to her, especially after the Weasley article, and we need the human angle on this one. Don't send Flummery. Well, who have you got? Midgen. Eloise froze. This night was getting a little out of hand. She couldn't deny she'd suspected they'd use her whenever Harry Potter did something spectacular. But now they were talking about sending her to the game, on deadline, to get an exclusive story reporters twice her age and experience could get near. Showing up at Lupin Lodge was one thing. Tackling Harry among a mob of friends, relatives, supporters, teammates, photographers, admirers, other reporters. Eloise gripped the underside of her desk with her free hand, hoping no one would notice if she passed out. She wrote that story about the wedding? Yeah and the only interview we've gotten with Potter since the war. Right, I remember. And she's ready to get this story to us by eleven? Leon nodded, and something rose in Eloise's throat. Send Creevy with her. Creevy? Photographer. Rather eager fellow. Right, right. Whatever you think is best, said Scrine. Midgen! Creevy! Leon bellowed, and Eloise jumped again and hit the tops of her knees on her desk. Again. She hobbled over to the front-page desk, ignoring Prattleby's suspicious glare. The sooner she could get out of here, the better. 
she had an urge to grab her quill and run before the rest of the newsroom found out she'd been handed a story all of them would kill for. Colin appeared at her side right before they reached the desk. Took them long enough, he muttered with a grin. So, you too, said Leon, are going to the game. Here. He handed them both rectangular lanyards that Eloise recognized as official press passes. He touched his wand to each, and a glowing red version of the Daily Prophet's masthead began racing around the edges. Check in every half hour. You can get me on this any time. Don't worry about the game stats. McCall has that. Get me Potter. I want to know everything. Deadline at eleven. What about the night story? Sweeney can take care of it, said Leon, and pointed toward the pale female reporter who'd been hired barely two weeks ago. Eloise forced herself to stand up straight. A small crowd of reporters had gathered, each of them registering some form of unflattering surprise. Prattleby had his arms crossed and was making a face Eloise couldn't decipher. "'How many inches?' Eloise asked, forcing herself to sound cool and professional. "'As many as it takes.' She nearly staggered. "'That—that that never happened. They'd never just make a story fit.' At least they hadn't with her stories, and for a moment Eloise felt like a real journalist. The prophet's first string. The thought made her queasy. Leon must have noticed her sudden change of expression, because he pulled her by the elbow and away from the rest of the group. "'You're looking a little green,' he whispered. "'I'm—I'm I'm fine, I think. Look, Midgen, they—' He gestured to the other reporters, all of whom were undoubtedly trying to hear this exchange— don't think you can do it. I do. So, can you do it? Y yes. That's my girl. Now. Go. It's getting late. Creevy! he shouted, temporarily rendering Eloise deaf. Colin appeared at once. Go. Now. Don't waste more time. Come on, El, said Colin, and Eloise had just enough time to grab a quill and a few rolls of parchment from a nearby desk before Colin pulled her from the room by the sleeve of her robes. The last thing she saw before the door closed behind them was Prattleby, open jealousy contorting his face. Then they ran. By the time they had made it, panting, out of the Prophet building and out into the street, the walls of Diagon Alley were reverberating with the wireless transmission of the game. People hung out of their flat windows to listen as Lee Jordan's voice rang into the otherwise still air. Rumor has it Harry Potter is going to make his professional debut. L, go on, apparate. I'll run to the leaky cauldron to flu. I'll meet you there in a minute. Eloise nodded and shivered slightly. You're shivering. Where's your cloak? I, in the newsroom. But forget it. I, I've got to get there. Go ahead, go. I'll meet you there in five minutes. And without another word, Colin had sprinted back into the building for her cloak. She sent him a silent thanks and watched him go then took several deep breaths, trying to work out the stitch in her chest. She had to calm down. As nervous and excited and completely blown away as she was about her assignment, history said far too many reporters got splinched on the job, and she was sure Harry wouldn't fancy speaking to one of her arms and perhaps a leg, if he talked to her at all. "'He'll talk to you. He'll talk to you,' she repeated to herself. She'd gone to extra measures to be fair, whenever a story concerned him in the slightest, because she remembered all too well what that horrid Skeeter woman had done during her fifth year, and the consequences such biased coverage had wrought during her sixth and seventh. Poor Harry hadn't been able to do anything without being seen as a lunatic, 
and though Eloise's interactions with him were admittedly limited, she knew him to be nothing of the sort. He may hate the press as a rule, but he'd always been nice to her. He'd taken a chance and answered her questions once, and, as she'd been told in a thank-you note from Hermione Granger, he'd been pleased with the article. Harry would talk to her, she was sure. The big problem would be getting to him, but she'd figure that out later. Right now she just needed to stop her head from swimming. She'd turned out stories under tighter deadlines than this before. She knew about the cannons and the kestrels. She knew about Harry. She knew about Quidditch. She knew about seeking. There was nothing to worry about. She was ready for this story. She pulled her wand and focused on the pitch, and as the world around her went black, she repeated her last thought like a mantra. She was ready for this story. An ear-splitting roar, so loud, she thought she'd be thrown backwards, greeted her arrival. She had apparated right in front of the press-tent, to be sure, but all around her was madness. Wizards and witches were apparating right on top of each other, stampeding for tickets, waving their orange pieces of parchment around, as if they were strips of gold. The officials at the gate were fighting off the mob with well-placed repulsion spells, which forced the crowd into several straight buzzing lines. Not ten feet in front of Eloise was a very large, burly man guarding the press entrance, surrounded by no less than a hundred bustling reporters and pushy photographers, and carrying over the tidal wave of sound whooshing out from the pitch was Lee Jordan's amplified voice. Rumor confirmed! Harry Potter's second reserve for the Chudley Cannons will be playing in place of Marine Knight, followed by a cheer so loud that nearby trees quivered. She was not ready for this story. L, let's go. It was Colin, running to meet her from the pub down the lane. Eloise collected herself and jogged after him, right to the edge of the throng. She made a grab for her lanyard, which she had swung over her neck in the newsroom, and held it out to be ready for inspection. I'll take it from here, Midgen. Eloise swung around to face a wall of a woman and a wiry, greasy man, both of them staring at her with unreserved disdain. Bleak hair hung lank against the woman's three-chinned neck, and weak orange-red lips puckered in scorn. Her beady eyes, dull as dirt, pinned Eloise and her press-pass right to the ground. Flummery, Eloise stuttered. Oh, you're a smart one. Come on, Peltier, she said crisply, jerking her neck toward the stadium so that her skin rattled. Peltier grunted and began to walk past. Colin moved in front of them. This is Eloise's story, Nancy, he growled. Undoubtedly, said Flummery, sarcastically, drawing the word out like a weapon. Poor dear Leon, having to send the baby in my place. She shifted her eyes and raked Eloise over, and Eloise felt her jaw go rigid. I'll be taking that pass now, Missy. You can just scurry on back like a good little girl and tell Daddy the professionals have arrived. She held out her bloated hand. No. Eloise said it quietly, but with conviction, and Flummery narrowed her eyes to slits and took a step forward. Eloise didn't care. She put her free hand up to stop Colin from coming between her and Flummery's fat face. Another roar issued from the stadium, but it was unimportant. It was time a few things were said. Leon, Eloise spat, her ears still ringing with Flummery's taunt. 
only puts up with you because as wretched and as biased as your stories are no one else is miserable enough to get them one day someone will find out how you get the horrible things you do i cannot imagine whom you've bribed to avoid a liable charge but i do know one thing one more misstep and you are gone again this is our story collins and mine so you can just scurry on back yourself Colin was mouthing wordlessly at her side, and Eloise had a brief moment of panic. She'd never come close to letting this much frustration go at once, and surely Colin thought she was a horrible, horrible person now that she had. But heat was rising in Flummery's face, her eyes were darting around in panic, and her tiny mind was surely trying to think up a response. Eloise didn't dare drop her guard. Something hostile and long-coming had been unleashed, and she could no longer control it. She thought of Harry, and how unfairly he'd been treated by people like Flummery, how hard his life, and the lives of countless other good people, had been made in the name of career advancement. As long as she was allowed to go unchecked, the entire wizarding world would, rightly, be scared of the press, and Eloise gazed at Flummery with hate in her eyes. When Leon finds out, Flummery huffed, but Eloise had already anticipated her. Why don't we just ask him whose story this is? asked Eloise, innocently, holding up her press pass. Yes, I think we'll do that. She touched her wand to the pass, muttered what she desperately hoped was the right spell, and the lettering still running around the edges turned green. She could hear the newsroom bustling, sounding twice as loud as it had when she'd left. She spoke into the top corner of the pass. Oh, Leon! Leon! Midgen? Shh! It's Midgen! Shut that thing off! She could hear the newsroom go quiet. Midgen, where the hell are you? I'm outside the stadium. I've run into Flummery, and it appears she'd like to help with my story. You tell Flummery if she goes near that game, she's fired. Now get your bum inside that pitch. I'll do that, Leon. Thanks. Eloise tapped her pass again and smiled sweetly at Flummery, who was fuming purple. Seems Daddy would rather I handle this one. For a moment, Eloise feared for her life. Flummery's nostrils were white, and her left eye started to twitch. She opened her mouth to speak, a movement that would have made Eloise flinch, except it didn't. Eloise kept her back ramrod straight and wordlessly dared Flummery to make another move. Let's go, Peltier, said Flummery slowly, but bitterly, without blinking or breaking eye contact. She backed away and disapparated. Peltier cast Eloise a greasy once-over that made her ill, and then he too disappeared. Eloise's legs wavered beneath her. She put a hand to her stomach and exhaled several times before she realized Colin had not yet said anything. She turned to find him staring at her, shock elongating his features. He thought she was horrible. "'I'm sorry, Colin,' she said and her whole body started to shake. I'm usually not like that. Oh, I can't believe I was so horrible. You must think I'm a terrible person. That was amazing, he said, and Eloise blushed and looked away. Oh, no, really, you were, um, Colin, the game, Eloise shouted, suddenly realizing that the ball had officially been released into play. She grabbed her cloak from Colin's outstretched hand and flung it around herself, 
grateful for the burst of warmth, then tugged Colin by the elbow and urged him forward. Together they ran to the gate, which was now completely empty except for the one leering security wizard. Without pausing or breaking stride, they thrust out their press passes, barreled through the entrance, and sprinted the rest of the way to the booth. A wave of adrenaline, stronger than Eloise had ever felt, coursed through her. She had never been in this, no, any press box before, but the combination of elements were sliding comfortably into place. The roar of the crowd dimmed in her mind, and her thoughts became a reel of facts, seeking, snitches, Harry, The fans chanting in unison, the vendors watching instead of selling, the mascot cannonball rolling madly down aisles, grown men hugging each other, parents hoisting their kids onto their heads, orange sparklers flaring in the darkening sky. Eloise filed it all in her head, took it all in, knew she didn't need to write it down. She swelled at the sheer volume of humanity at her fingertips, and filled with pride to realize that this was a story she could write, and write well. But she scribbled notes as she ran, just in case. Passes? This guard was twice as large as the last, but Eloise was already feeling like an old pro at the show-your-pass game, and held her card up defiantly. Colin snickered as the guard grunted and stepped aside. What? she asked, risking a small smile as Colin turned and walked backwards to enter the box. Nothing. You're just too— Oof! Colin had backed right into a wall of people, and Eloise snapped back into focus to find herself in the most crowded box she'd ever seen. Not only wasn't there a seat to be had, but there were no seats. Someone must have magically removed the chairs to make room for all the extra press. Light bulbs popped at alternate seconds, so it was like being in the middle of a lightning storm. She couldn't even see the game. Some reporters had taken to writing blindly above their heads, probably for want of space, blocking out almost everything. Their voices clamored together as if coming from one large insect. De goods got to quaffle, except for one. Lee Jordan, looking every bit as ruddy and enthusiastic as he had during Hogwarts games, danced around the top of the box, where a small space had been cleared for him. He jumped and punched his microphone into the air between comments. As funny and familiar as it was to see Lee back in action, panic started to sweep over Eloise. She and Colin were still standing on the outside of the crowd, trying to gauge the situation. From the look of it, she'd never get to see anything. She imagined herself slumping back into the newsroom, empty-handed, and Prattleby's victorious face. Better luck next time, eh? Something snatched her wrist, and her body bent forward. Colin, what are you doing? Colin rammed into the solid crowd, shoulder first, like a bull. Oh, right. Eloise grasped his wrist back, enforcing the connection. The others yelped and cursed, but grudgingly gave way as they dug through. Oh, sorry. Ow. Sorry. Didn't mean... Oh, are you okay? Oops, sorry there. Colin barreled unforgivingly. With a hundred journalists there to do the job usually assigned to five or six, the box had probably filled up far before anyone had thought to magically expand it. The cold December air was now full of statistics and sweat. Eloise crinkled her nose against both. A hairy arm swung out from their left, and Colin ducked, taking Eloise with him, making her feel as if she were playing Quidditch herself. The air cleared. Eloise took a long, grateful swig of it 
and shifted as best she could to thank Colin. He had carved out a minuscule spot from which they could see the game perfectly. It might have even been comfortable if the two of them weren't so smushed together. But then Colin leaned back to take his first shot of the game, sliding right against Eloise's shoulder. He smelled of musk. She grinned goofily at her feet, thinking perhaps she was comfortable enough for a while. Orange and green blurs were racing up and down the pitch. Eloise squinted just in time to see someone, Harry, plow in front of a kestrel, and a second later the crowds exploded as Feroza Newland scored for the cannons. Excellent chasing by Newland! Eloise made a quick mental note of the save, and then tried to zone out the other reporter's comments and focus on Harry. It was a difficult thing. Don't know how she does it at her age. Like I said, eyes in the back of her head. She's a mother. What's her score ratio again? Seven to one, someone shouted from the other end of the box. Cheers for that! Yes, it's Harry Potter's professional debut, shouted a familiar yet different voice, and Eloise twisted as much as she could to chance another glimpse at the top of the box. Skip Fetterman, the stadium's floodlight, glaring off his precise haircut and tortoise-rimmed glasses, had joined Lee in commentating, and Lee wasn't looking too happy about it. Eloise had heard them do play-by-plays together once before, and it hadn't been pretty. Skip's stuffed shirt broadcasting training clashed heavily with Lee's all-get-out verve for the game. Tonight's pairing was only going to make things more chaotic, if that was even possible. Eloise tried to turn back and almost didn't succeed. She grasped the railing and blinked against flashing lights while Collins snapped an insane amount of pictures. She couldn't even get to her scroll. The weight of the crowd was pushing against her, and cold metal was digging into her ribs. Occasionally, the mob shifted to follow play, and Eloise felt her entire body move with it. Once, she thought her feet actually left the ground. The next thing she felt, though, was definitely not at her feet. "'You're a pretty little filly, ain't you?' The stocky man next to Eloise nudged her with his shoulder, and dealt her bum a hard pinch that stung through her cloak and robes. Eloise felt her jaw drop and stared straight forward for a while before she dared to turn, open mouth, and face the perpetrator. A man she immediately recognized as Buck Atkins, the American reporter she'd so often heard about in the newsroom, smiled lecherously from behind a gray mustache. She knew he was on special assignment, sent to every game from the Texas portent to follow Jack DeGood's cross-Atlantic career. Famous as he was for his wit and sharp writing, Eloise thought she'd rather admire his style from afar. "'Now, don't look so shocked there, Missy. An old cowpoke like me still got some life. Even enough for your young—' He licked his lips and sucked a breath. Type. And before she could stop it, Buck Atkins had placed his hand around her on her left hip, just above her bum. Eloise tried to move out of his grip, but there was nowhere to go. She made as loud a noise of protest as she could muster. Colin turned around. He glanced once at Eloise's pleading face, and then his eyes dropped downward, traveling back up the length of Atkins' arm, fury building in his eyes. Move. Now. The crowd around them made a loud, desperate groan. Something wild was going on. She could vaguely hear the disappointment in the stands. But Eloise couldn't tear her eyes away from Colin and the way his chin had gone dangerously still. His camera hung, 
His camera hung, forgotten, at his side, which Eloise took as a serious compliment. She was sure she was blushing. Atkins laughed. Now there's what I'd like to see, a young man ready to defend his lassie. Colin hadn't budged. Move your hand. Look at that. Atkins leaned in to whisper in Eloise's ear. Sounds like someone's roped this boy in good, and... Good and what? Eloise never found out. Colin had reached around Eloise and grabbed Atkins by the collar, pulling him back just far enough to dislodge the offending hand and send Eloise scurrying to Colin's left side. Colin immediately pressed into the space Eloise had vacated. Atkins laughed even harder. That's the way to do it. I like you, boy. Colin wound back with his free hand, and Eloise pulled her wand as fast as she could. She couldn't let Colin get thrown out of the game on her account, and worse, she couldn't let Atkins retaliate. She pointed her wand, cried, Petrificus Totalis, and Atkins immediately went rigid. It was enough to make Colin take notice and drop his hand. She couldn't see his face, but she could see his shoulders start shaking. When he turned, he was smiling widely, perhaps even fighting back a laugh. No one seemed to notice that Atkins had been immobilized, and Eloise was hardly surprised. She heard Lee and Skip bantering about a Ronsky feint, and guessed no one in the box had even witnessed the exchange. But Colin was still smiling like that, making it impossible to turn back to the game. They were almost toe-to-toe, and for a brief second Eloise wondered how silly they must look from the outside, with everyone in their box screaming and jumping and watching the game, and the two of them staring at each other instead. Thanks, she said, trying to smile as widely as he was. She got halfway there, but lost her nerve, and gave the rest of the expression to her shoes. Blue shoes. Colin's shoes moved closer, and she felt his breath against her ear. You Hufflepuffs are damn fast. That was perfect. Eloise giggled, and her head floated again. And it's Cole Carey to the hoops again! She's just a machine! Watch this woman go! Eloise jumped, bumping the top of her head against Colin's chin. Oh, I'm going to kill you one of these days! But the game! She whirled around to face the pitch, and so did Colin, still rubbing his chin and laughing, just in time to see Carrie swoop effortlessly past the Kestrel's keeper for a goal. Yes, Lee, she's certainly been this league's biggest find, and you've got to wonder why it took so long for anyone to notice her chaser abilities. It didn't take so long, Skip, it just took a madman named Wood. Well, he's certainly mad if he thinks that putting in a cold seeker is any kind of way to— Oh, what's Potter doing? He's diving, he's— Eloise grasped the railing and bent over the edge, watching the flawless, easy way Harry cut through the air as he soared downward. His robes flew out behind him, and he was like an arrow, one beautifully straight line pelting down the pitch. She'd never seen anyone as meant for anything as Harry seemed for Quidditch, and remembered feeling the same way at Hogwarts. It was one thing about him the war hadn't touched. It didn't even matter that he missed. It didn't matter to Eloise that he hadn't caught a snitch, or that there hadn't been a snitch to catch, or whatever the ruckus was about. She watched Harry fly and found herself with an angle. But it was the last time she was able to see Harry clearly for a while. As the game rolled ahead, she found she was getting a surprisingly small amount of material for her story, 
It was all blatching, stoging, ploys, and feints. She didn't need to know that Abby Fryer could no longer pull off a decent starfish and stick, or that Knight was favored to replace Holgate on the English team later in the year. The endless relay of statistics were jumbling her thoughts, making it impossible to focus on what kind of questions she needed to ask Harry when the game ended. And if the game ends right now, how am I going to get to him? she thought, suddenly panicked. Harry had just dove after what he thought was a snitch. What if the real snitch showed up in the next five minutes? Now! It was a long way from here to the ground, and it would take a miracle to cut through the post-game crowd with any sort of ease, though she was sure her press pass could get her into the usual press conference. Later on in the stadium's press room, that wasn't going to be much help when it came to Harry and Leon wanted the human angle. There was no way she was going to get it from up here. She tugged at Colin's elbow, and a flash of light exploded in her face. Whoops, sorry, he said. It's okay. Colin, I think this might sound crazy, but we have to leave. Leave? We can't just, not the game, this box. I can't focus. I'm not here for the same type of story. McCall's in here somewhere for that. She was yelling, but she was sure Colin was hearing her. I need to be. She stopped and followed her pointing hand to the lowest partition in the stadium, where, just visible against the wall nearest the pitch, several dots with bright red hair were jumping up and down. There! Colin, it's the Weasleys! There! We need to be there! Colin didn't even look to check. You're right. He grabbed her wrist and tugged Eloise back through the crowd a maneuver that was considerably easier than getting to the front had been. They stopped behind everyone else to catch their breath, Colin to refill his camera for the sixth or so time. Eloise looked up at Lee. What a deliberate foul! Looks like someone's getting worried, Skip! And for no good reason, Lee, if the snitch comes out before the cannons have managed another ten goals, and it's likely it will, then the Kestrels are practically a shoe-in for the win. Lee seemed to forget he was holding a microphone and turned to face Skip full on. Oh, is that so? Yes, that's... Lee grabbed Skip's microphone and pitched it over the back of the box. Eloise laughed. Colin's camera snapped shut and he and Eloise took off again, running at top speed down several flights of stairs, Lee's uproarious and uninterrupted comments bouncing off the cement walls. No one was around not a vendor, not a guard, to stop them as they entered the ground level. Everyone must have been watching the game, and Eloise was struck again by what a huge story she had been assigned. Colin led her straight to the front without incident. No one nearby was willing to take their eyes off the game long enough to inspect their press passes with any kind of scrutiny, or to discover they weren't tickets. Three carrot-topped figures were nearly scaling the wall that separated the pitch from the stands, and Eloise and Colin ran toward them as if they were beacons. As they got closer, Eloise recognized them as Fred, George, and Ginny, surrounded by Professor Lupin, Sirius Black, and Angelina John—no, Angelina Weasley. Eloise's heart thudded with relief. But where was Ron? That's right, Harry! You get him! Show that Ponzi leprechaun prat how to do it. There was Ron. He was screaming like a lunatic from above and behind, loud enough for the entire stadium to hear, next to a squat, bald man who was doing the same. Eloise made a note to double-check her hunch 
that Ron had tickets to the game from the off, while the rest of the family showed up when they heard Harry was playing. And they were like a family, Eloise thought warmly as they skidded to a halt behind the orange blurs that were the Weasleys, a very big, happy one who'd run out at a moment's notice to support one of their own, blood brother or not. Some sort of explosion happened in the stands. All of a sudden everyone was on their feet, leaning left, and Eloise squinted up just in time to see Adam Holgate tearing downward with half Harry's grace, bolting after a small, glittering item. Harry pivoted in the air and tore after, and Eloise fought the urge to scream for Harry to tear Holgate's arms off. "'Tear his arms off, Harry!' yelled Colin, almost dropping his camera. Being around so many Gryffindors again seemed to be going to Colin's head. Eloise welcomed the nostalgia. She almost expected to look into the top box and see Dumbledore cheering Harry on. But Holgate was close, and Harry was flying desperately, faster than Eloise had ever seen him go. She dug her fingernails into her cheeks. Thwack! Yeah! It was one long, simultaneous Weasley shout, and Eloise exhaled. The game wasn't over thanks to Marty Gudgeon's and Medusa Francis's deadly execution of a textbook doppelbeater defense. The Weasleys grabbed each other's limbs and jumped up and down as one ecstatic unit. Except for two of them. Sirius Black and Remus Lupin stood to the side of their group, Black's hands in such tight fists that white knuckles showed through the skin. They both stared upward, as if in some sort of trance, and Black looked to be fighting a swell of emotion. His eyes were bright as he watched his godson. The teams pulled back for the called foul, and Colin sneaked up behind Ginny, whose hands were buried in her hair, pulling at either side of her face. Colin snapped a picture of her profile, and she swung around. Colin! she screamed and hugged him. Did you see? Of course you saw! she yelled, looking up and down between Colin and the game. Isn't it wonderful? He's... Oh, yeah, Oliver, no goal! We heard it on the wireless and ran here. They were almost out of tickets, and... Eloise, hi! Hey, wait, what are you... Are you two here from... On assignment, yes, answered Eloise, smiling at how different Ginny looked from the last time she saw her. She was shining, her face flushed with unabashed love, and all of it was very clearly for Harry. Even at the wedding she had not looked this open. Gone was the practiced, guarded expression Ginny had worn all throughout Hogwarts, and Eloise thought it a welcome change. "'Oh, they gave you this story. Good for you, Eloise,' said Ginny, and Eloise knew she'd meant it. "'Yes, but we sort of need to, you know.' She bit her lip, looked at Ginny's questioning but happy face, and decided just to come out with it. "'We need to speak to Harry.' After the game, that is. Ginny tutted. Of course you do. Just stick to me after he catches that snitch. I'm sure he'll talk to you. Relief so complete swept over Eloise that she thought her knees would buckle. Oh, thanks, Ginny. Really. Ginny tisked again, and then patted Colin on the shoulder and whirled back to the pitch. Colin was grinning. What? Nothing. It just took me six years to get Harry to let me take his picture, that's all. Six months, and you've got exclusives. Oh, shh, I haven't got anything yet. Right, said Colin, still grinning, 
and he hoisted his camera toward the game again. It was easily the fastest and most brutal minutes of Quidditch Eloise had ever seen. Harry flew steadily above it, blanketing the pitch with a swirl of speedy orange. So many things were happening at once, Eloise was sure she was missing something vital. She scribbled a few tactics that she was able to spot, but she only needed a few major points for reference in her story, if necessary. She needed the basics, but the important basics, and she didn't trust herself to come up with the right comparisons so quickly. She needed an outside voice, someone who knew Quidditch better than any other fan, and well enough to read between the maneuvers, someone who used to be a team captain. Eloise positioned herself behind Angelina Johnson Weasley. Oh, that was a great backbeat. Angela pointed at a dot. Eloise could just make out as Medusa Francis. She has such grace. Fred, standing next to her, snorted. Grace my arse. She should have taken his head off. Honestly, I can't believe what Oliver's done with his team. That, that's right there. Just a perfect reverse pass. I've never seen a team have such precision. It's astounding. It really is. It's not so astounding, put in George, right after Feroz and Newland had looped around Hallweddell and under Boomer for yet another cannon's goal, considering Oliver's actually getting paid to do what he did to us at Hogwarts. I'm just surprised no one's died of bloody exhaustion. Eloise stood for nearly fifteen minutes, scribbling notes on the Weasley's talk and keeping one eye on Harry as the cannons rocketed to near invincibility. Angelina's tendency to point out the widest angle possible was far more helpful than the mad volley of statistics up in the press box, and Eloise allowed part of her mind to wander as she took notes, making herself a mental list of questions to ask Harry. Castrol keeper Abby Fryer was looking worse for wear now, and goal after goal soared past her helpless tending, making the crowd around Eloise thunder and the ground beneath her tremble. Harry lurched forward toward something Eloise couldn't see, and then stopped just as abruptly. Ginny threw out an arm and grabbed Fred's jumper. "'Fred, what's he doing?' asked Ginny. "'What's going on up there?' Harry had flown toward Oliver, and the two of them seemed to be having a heated conference near the hoops while the game raged at the opposite end of the pitch. Fred squinted. "'Dunno, Jin.' Only time Oliver's ever stopped to talk to a game was to tell one of us off. Harry suddenly flattened himself to his broom and took off like a shot, screaming backward to a stunned-looking Oliver. Ginny sucked in a breath and brought her hands up in fists. He's after it, she said simply. Eloise scribbled. Yeah, Harry, it's yours, came Ron's voice. As two slip streams on brooms zoomed toward the center of the pitch, the drone in the stands grew to a feverish buzz, then to a deafening roar. Eloise's entire body thrilled. She could see Colin working his camera so hard that it had begun to smoke in places other than the flash. She dropped her hands to her sides and clenched her robes, her notes forgotten in the unbelievable rush that was the last few seconds of a Quidditch match. Colin dropped his camera on its strap and took hold of Eloise's forearm his knuckles white against her now-flushed skin. She threw objectivity to the wind. "'Get it, Harry!' she shouted, surprised at her own volume. Colum jumped a little and looked down at her with a smirk. Eloise smiled back, but only for a second,
because Harry and Holgate were neck and neck, two reckless blurs of speed, their little golden prize trapped between them. Eloise's heart lurched with a hope that Harry would get to the tiny, surrounded snitch first. One more second, they were equal distances apart from the winking gold speck, closing in at matching speeds, and if they kept going like that, they'd surely crunch. It might have been pure imagination, but Eloise could swear she heard the sickening crunch of shattering bones as Harry and Holgate slammed into each other. She heard it over and over and over again, thinking she might be sick with it, her head ringing and her arm painful in Colin's grip. Holgate, his entire face covered in blood, slumped wholly against his broom, which was lucky. The firebolt immediately kicked into emergency mode, spinning away from the crash, and wafting his bleeding, bruised form gently toward the ground. But Harry was still floating in the air, performing what any broomstick would take to be a decent starfish and stick. One arm hung limply at around the shaft of the broom, while the other was rigid, making an awkward angle with his body. The one leg that looped the bristles of his broom gave way, and he hung, the sudden lopsided shift of the weight causing him to spin out toward the stands. The other cannons were rushing toward him, but it didn't do much good. He swirled to a stop, and though his firebolt seemed to have gotten the hint, starting a slow float to the ground, Harry's fingers finally uncurled, one by one. He released the broom. Lentes shouted Oliver, and Harry's limp form suddenly slowed, hitting the ground with only a slightly upsetting thud. There was a split second of silence in which Jinny, her face like ash, made a dry, rattling sort of sound. Then the crowd started up again, humming at first, but quickly working themselves into a frenzy. They were streaming down from the top boxes, pushing against those at the bottom level for a look at the field. Flashes of light exploded everywhere, though Colin made no move toward his camera. The meta-wizards had already rushed onto the field, where all the cannons and kestrel players had landed, and were standing helplessly by their fallen teammates. Out of my way! Out of my way! Oh, hell! Move! There was a great thump, and the next second Ron Weasley had appeared next to Ginny, wide-eyed and horrified, and silently took her hand. Ginny suddenly nodded, as if she had made a decision. In one swift, business-like movement, she hoisted herself over the barrier and onto the pitch. Ron followed instantly, and the two of them ran. "'Well, come on!' shouted George, and the rest of the Weasleys hopped the gate. Eloise wasted no time, as loath as she was to take advantage of Harry's unconscious, or worse, state. She had to stick to the Weasleys, just in case." Colin jumped the barrier with ease and held out his hand to help Eloise over. They ducked the first onset of security wizards putting up wards to stop people from doing exactly what they had just done, and ran to catch up with Ginny. "'Get back now, all of you,' said a lumpy official to the group of Weasleys that had surrounded him. "'Only team members and Medi-Wizards. Back to the pitch. Come on now.' The guard took a look at Ginny, who had planted her feet in the ground and was sending him darts with her eyes and did a double-take. "'Hey, wait a minute. You all, you're the minister. We are family of Harry Potter's,' said Sirius quietly, but with lethal intonation. "'And we are going to see him.' The man saw Sirius and visibly jumped. "'Right. Yes. Uh, of course, Mr. Black. Go on. Go on.' And he shuffled off, 
half bowing. Harry and Holgate, both bloodied beyond recognition, lay deathly quiet on the grass. Ginny yelped and lurched herself forward. Professor Lupin, gently, but firmly, held her back by the shoulders. No, Ginny. But, said Ginny, her voice full of tears, but Remus, look at him. I have to. They don't know what they're doing. Harry, oh, Harry. No sooner had she said the words than Harry stirred. He appeared to be trying to turn his head. Ginny, he said weakly, you're here? Yes, of course, she sighed, and a tear started down her cheek. I heard your name on the wireless and came right up, but they won't let me in there and— Oh, you're talking. Thank God, I thought— She was crying fully now, and Ron came up beside her and tapped Professor Lupin, who stepped back. Ron took Jinny's hand. Shh, Jinny, it's all right. A muddy wizard bustled over to Harry, obstructing the view. Ron and Ginny stayed close, Ron's hand making small circles against the spot between Ginny's shoulders. Leprechaun gold! Never in all my years! Leprechaun gold on this pitch! Someone shouted, and Eloise pivoted to see the Kestrel's Tim Boomer standing sheepishly in front of an irate league official, his pockets hanging out of his robes. Suspended! shouted the official, evoking a chorus of groans and curses from the Kestrel's that made the official's face an even brighter shade of red. Indefinitely, at least for the rest of the season, and I'll be taking your case up with the league. See if we can't make it longer. Boomer's curses fell deaf on the orange roar that was the cannons. Oliver looked as if he'd bust, seeming to forget, for the moment, that he was two seekers down and the game had yet to be called, or even postponed. I caught it! I caught it! Oliver! Where's Oliver Wood? It was Harry, half passed out on his stretcher, his left hand extended high above him, and glints of silver extruded from his palm. Eloise sucked a breath. She was not alone. The Weasleys froze, gripping each other's robes. The silver glints trembled like trapped wings. Yeah, Harry! yelled Ron, who had jumped so high he nearly knocked Jinny to the ground. Eloise nearly tripped over her own robes to follow Jinny, who had run after the stretcher, Colin snapping pictures at her heels. Oliver's mouth was hanging open. He had to be pushed forward by his teammates. When he got to Harry, he just looked at the snitch, and then back down at the seeker who had saved his season. I knew you would, he choked. Eloise could barely write his quote through her tears. And somewhere to her right... Colin was jumping around like a madman, taking pictures faster than she'd ever seen him try. And he's got it! Harry Potter's done it again! Harry Potter catches the snitch with a perfectly executed Plumpton pass! Perfectly executed, Lee? That's an accident, if I ever... Harry Potter executes a textbook Plumpton pass, and the game is over! The cannons remain undefeated! We shall conquer! We shall conquer! The cheers started low, on the field with the cannons, and then worked upward until the entire stadium rocked with the sound. The press had broken the wards and started to stream onto the field. Tears clouded Eloise's eyes, and her notes, at the beginning of the night so orderly and legible, were now nothing more than haphazard scribbles tearing across crumpled parchment. 
She was trying to record everything. The crush of the crowd, the celebratory orange fireworks, the way tears were falling freely from Ron Weasley's eyes. But to write any of it down meant looking away or at least dividing her attention, and that was not an option. The stretchers bearing the unconscious seekers rose and started floating toward the team's bunkers. Eloise and Colin immediately ran to the front of the crowd, keeping close to Ron. Ginny, on Ron's right, walked quietly, her bloodshot eyes ever focused on Harry's quiet form. Sirius and Remus stayed close as well, though neither of them had yet said a thing. A squadron of Mediwizards surrounded the stretchers, making movement toward the changing rooms very slow business, but also preventing the rest of the press from getting too close to the cannons, kestrels, or Weasleys, or me and Colin, Eloise realized, struck by the bizarre confluence of events that had pushed her ahead of all the other reporters. The door to the changing room swung open, and the two stretchers floated through, followed by the legion of Mediwizards, the Weasleys, starting with Ron, moved to enter as well, but the door slammed shut, and the same lumpy guard that had tried to stop them from running to the pitch stepped in front of the door. "'Captains only! I said, captains only!' "'No!' shouted Ginny. "'But that's my—we're family!' "'I said, captains—' The guard glanced sidelong at Sirius and quivered. "'Only. Sorry, miss, sir. Captains only.' Oliver Wood and Kyle Kirkpatrick maneuvered to the front, glaring at each other out of the corner of their eyes. The guard shifted away to let them through, then slid right back in front as the door slammed once more. The crowd groaned. "'Go on, Angelina, you're a captain,' prodded Fred. "'She's a captain,' he shouted, pointing atop Angelina's head. "'Lost me around for a whole year!' "'Was, and at Hogwarts you get,' Angelina muttered. "'Oh, she's still captain,' George whispered to Eloise. "'But not on the pitch.' Ginny stared forlornly at the closed door, while Ron swore under his breath. Eloise was starting to lose hope. The way it looked, no one was getting in to see Harry. She scrolled through her notes, frantically looking for a way to spin the story with what she'd gleaned in the stands. Nothing. There was nothing. Her article was going to have to feature Harry Potter's family watching him play Quidditch. She let out an impatient whimper. Leon was going to be so disappointed. Midgen! Eloise's heart dropped. Her press pass was glowing. She brought it to her mouth and stuck a finger in her ear. Yeah, yes Leon? You didn't check in. What's happening? Nothing. I'm waiting to to get into the changing room, she fibbed. Oh, good show, Midgen. Let me know when you've got that interview. Harry's, um, injured, Eloise added, panicking for a distraction. Can he talk? Uh, no, 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 no. Yes. Great. See you in a bit. The pass clicked off. Eloise looked at it sadly. Collins shifted his camera bag on his shoulder and offered a sympathetic nod. But I liked my job, Eloise sighed. Colin laughed and nudged her in the shoulder. You won't be fired. Fired? Ron Weasley was standing there, his eyes bright and red, his face full of worry. You're not getting sacked, are you? Not yet, said Eloise, and smiled at Ron. But it doesn't matter. You all right? And Ginny? Yeah, it's not like we're not used to this by now. He laughed softly and shoved his right hand in his pocket, 
leaving his left clenched at his side. "'You're here for work?' Colin nodded. "'Congratulations on being cleared, by the way,' said Colin. "'We knew those charges were ridiculous.' Ron smiled. "'That might not have happened without your help,' he said. "'Thanks. Really. Both of you. And thanks for Hermione, too. Because if she were here, I'd have to pry her off of you, too.' "'How is she?' asked Eloise. "'She's with the Thinker, right?' "'Yep. Still absolutely crazy. You know her.' "'Studying, as if she hasn't had enough school. "'She'll be home around Christmas.' "'Ron sighed a little, then seemed to realize he'd done it out loud. "'His ears went pink, and Eloise bit back a giggle. "'I'd love to do a story on her,' said Eloise. "'There's a lot of confusion about what thinkers actually do, "'and a lot of people at the paper wonder what Hermione Granger is doing with herself.' "'Okay, but listen, you're not really getting fired, are you?' No, laughed Eloise, feeling silly for even suggesting it. I was just being stupid. Don't worry. Ron gave her a suspicious look, but whatever he said next was drowned out by the buzz of the crowd behind them. A Mediwizard had stepped out of the stadium and was having a quiet word with the guard, who then stepped to the left of the door and opened it a crack. Teammates! Teams only! he said, but the push of the crowd was too much for him. The door was instantly thrown open all the way, and Eloise was carried through on the mob's momentum, vaguely aware that Colin was near and that the Weasleys were just ahead. The noise increased tenfold upon entering the echoing path to the cannon's area. With the popping, flashing, and pounding of feet, Eloise felt as though she were trapped in a tidal wave. Ron and Ginny were still holding hands, and almost skidded to a stop in front of the medical wing. Eloise stayed as close as she could get to Ginny, and made sure Colin was right in step. They had no sooner reached the door to the wing when Oliver slipped out and crossed his arms over his burly chest. "'Get back!' he shouted, blocking the door with his body. "'No press! Team members only! Oh, and right, you too!' he conceded, flicking his eyes over the hopeful faces of the Weasleys. "'Yes, and you, and you! Go on, quickly, go!' He waved the red-headed group through, but just as Ginny was about to enter, a reporter from the Manchester Mage tried to duck under Oliver's arm, causing Oliver to step away just enough to pick the man up and throw him across the hall. It was just enough of a distraction. Eloise saw Ron grab Colin's arm just before she felt herself pulled forward. Ginny had taken a hold of her robes. "'Come on, you're with me,' she whispered, and steered Eloise right into the hospital ward. Ginny, thank you!' Eloise breathed as they were shunted inside the cool, dark room. But Ginny was no longer next to her. She had run over to the beds, which were already surrounded by the brightly uniformed cannons. The door clicked shut behind them, cutting off a chorus of disappointed groans. No one else would get in. Eloise thought she might laugh. She was so happy. Harry would talk to her. She had an exclusive. Leon was going to be so proud. Prattleby was going to have to shut his mouth for once, and Flummery was going to die. While the cannons grouped around Harry, offering congratulations and replaying the game's final minutes, a female voice whimpered from the bed on the right. Oliver rushed over to it. Marine Knight was trying to raise herself up on one elbow and failing miserably. Each time she tried, she fell back to the bed, and screwed up her face in pain. 
her pallid skin contrasted sharply with the bruises that had bloomed around each eye, and she was shooting resentful glances at the cross-looking meta-wizard looming above her. "'Sam, I'm fine. Let me up.' "'I'll tell you when you're fine, Knight. Now down. Rest.' "'How is she, Sam?' asked Oliver. He had put a hand next to Knight's head, and was speaking softly for the first time Eloise had ever heard. "'She's talking. She's up. So she can't be too bad. But how's her bones?' "'I'll be fine,' said Knight, struggling to sit up again. "'I'll be ready for the next game. I'll be back in practice tomorrow, I swear.' "'That's not what I meant, lunatic, and you're not practicing tomorrow,' said Oliver. "'Now lie down, or I'll have Sam sedate you.' "'Not fair,' Knight muttered, but Eloise could swear she saw her smile at Oliver.' Eloise had to stop from smiling herself. Now there was something she hadn't known about Maureen Knight. "'Still can't believe you caught it, Harry,' a ruddy Feroza was saying. "'I didn't, you know,' came a weak voice, whose owner Eloise couldn't see. "'I mean, it just went up my—it doesn't, you know, count.' "'Oh, it counts!' Oliver barked, making Knight jump. Colin was on his tiptoes trying to see over the head of the nearest cannon for a look at Harry. Eloise just readied her quill and checked the time. Almost nine. She'd have an hour to write this story. This story, at most. She crossed her hands in front of her to try and stop them from shaking. Hey, what's that? No press, Harry protested, and Eloise could see why. Colin was edging his camera through the wall of cannons in front of him. It's just me, Harry said Colin, sounding much younger than he had all night. I won't take a picture if you'd rather. Harry laughed softly. Oh, hi, Colin. It's fine. Go ahead. Colin flashed instantly. Where's Eloise? Eloise jumped. Right here, Harry, she said, raising her arm so he could see. A few cannons shifted so she could move forward, and she got her first glimpse at Harry. The whole right side of him was battered, and he was pale as death, but a small smile curved at his mouth. When you have a minute. Harry nodded. We sneaked Colin and Eloise in with us, said Jinny, who stood against the wall nearest to Harry's head, and looked as if she were fighting to keep herself away. I hope you don't mind, but I thought, since there are friends— No, it's good, said Harry. Harry shut his eyes and winced, and Jinny instantly put her hands up, as if to touch him. But she seemed to check herself, and with a sidelong glance at Professor Lupin, she slid back into place along the wall. Eloise was just wondering what that was all about when Harry spoke again. "'How did you get here?' he said to Jinny. "'Flu powder,' said Jinny, barely in time, too. "'There was a rush on tickets once people heard you were playing. We almost didn't get ours.' "'We?' Harry opened his eyes. The cannons had drifted over to Knight's bedside, leaving room for the rest of the Weasleys to gather around. Harry's eyes widened in faint shock. "'You all?' "'Wouldn't have missed it, Harry!' exclaimed Fred. "'Oliver still got you running suicide missions.' "'At least he's consistent, eh, Harry?' laughed George. "'Bloody boomer!' growled Angelina. "'They should just kick him out of the league. Full stop. All this suspension business. Look what he did tonight!' and the dirty trick he played on you. Bastard. You all right, Harry? 
Harry nodded, and his eyes glistened in the lamplight. Eloise was slightly taken aback, and her heart ached a little. She'd always known Harry to be nice, polite, standoffish in a way you'd expect a hero of his kind to be. But she'd never known he was so emotional, and so, well, sweet. He looked at his friends as if they had just brought him the greatest gift in the world, and all they had done was show up. But then, according to what Eloise knew of Harry's childhood, perhaps showing up was enough. "'You've certainly come up since your third year,' Professor Lupin said dryly, stepping up to the bed. "'Very nice playing, Harry.' Harry laughed. He managed a soft, "'Thanks,' before Sirius Black moved into view, his eyes shining like silver. Harry fell silent. It was a long moment before anyone breathed. "'You,' rasped Sirius, and shook his head wordlessly. Eloise had been taking swift notes throughout, but she heard the hitch in Sirius's voice and rested her quill at her side. "'Are phenomenal. You dad!' Harry swallowed hard, as did Sirius. "'You have no idea. When you were little we used to float you around and joke that one day you'd—' "'And you did!' Eloise couldn't move. Her eyes were cloudy again, and so were Harry's. He blinked several times and stared up at the ceiling. Everyone, including Eloise, looked away. She had barely felt the soft pressure at her side before she realized Colin had closed his hand around hers. Something whirred in the otherwise silent room, and Eloise looked up to see Ron holding out his left arm, a gold and silver ball beating its wings between his thumb and forefinger. I nicked it, he said, his voice hoarse. So you could keep it. You keep it, Harry breathed. Okay, said Ron. Ginny's hand gripped Ron's arm with what was very clearly considerable force. Harry seemed incapable of speech. His eyes were bright and wet, and still full of wonder as he surveyed the crowd around his bed. Objectivity aside, Eloise couldn't help but feel a surge of gratitude to the people who were making Harry Potter's life complete at last. Harry, she choked out, I won't interrupt if, if you need more time, but if I had a few questions, would you, would you answer them? The look Harry gave her was almost relieved. He nodded. Go ahead. Tingles ran up Eloise's spine as Colin raised his camera. "'Great match, Harry,' he whispered, then blinded them all with a flash. "'Thanks, Colin,' said Harry, using his uninjured arm to rub his eyes. A harried metawizard bustled past carrying bandages, and Eloise suddenly remembered her most important question. "'One moment, Harry,' she said, hurrying over to the surly man. "'Excuse me.' "'Excuse me, your name is Sam, right?' Sam the Medi-Wizard put his hands on his hips and stared at her impatiently. "'That's me. And?' "'I just wanted to make sure. Harry and Miss Knight are on painkillers, right?' "'Of course they are, with those injuries.' "'Um, right. So, are they okay to talk? I mean, I have some questions for them, but if their answers are going to be altered because of the pain-easing potions, it wouldn't be right to—' 
Sam was looking at her as if she had suddenly sprouted tentacles and burst into song. I'm sorry. Did I say something wrong or, or insult you or... You want to know if talking to them would be ethical, said Sam, with strong disbelief in his voice. I've insulted you. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to imply... No, no! Sam laughed, and his expression softened with respect. You have to forgive me, miss, but that's the first time I've been asked that question. What is your name? Eloise Midgen, sir, from the Daily Prophet. Well, I'm glad to see the Prophet stopped hiring those blasted skeeters and flummeries. Midgen, have to remember that. To answer your question, no. I've only given them allevium drafts, which will not affect their speech or thought. They're strictly for pain. Ask him anything you want. Let's not get carried away, Sam, said Oliver. I look forward to reading your article, Miss Midgen, Sam said, holding out his hand for Eloise to shake. Thanks, muttered Eloise, shaking his hand. Colin was staring at her, point blank, wearing an expression she'd never seen before. Right, so, Harry, she said, nearly overheating with embarrassment. That was a terrific match. Eloise poised her quill on a fresh roll of parchment and set the instrument to record, leaving her hands free. Just transcribing, not quick quotes, I promise, she said, making Jinny laugh. I know, Eloise. Anyway, Harry, my biggest question is, how did that feel, to be out on the pitch again? Harry sighed heavily, and Eloise wondered if she'd started too big. It was wonderful, he finally managed. I don't know. I mean, I can't really describe it for you. I haven't played a real game in a long time. And never at night, except for that long one in the sixth year. But even then... I'm, I'm sorry, this isn't really answering your question, is it? It's fine, Harry. Really. It's perfect. Just, just talk. Harry looked abashed for a moment. Okay, well, it was sort of like... <laughs> like being back at school. Yeah, with Oliver barking at you and everything, shouted Fred. Harry laughed, especially with Oliver there. He's very, uh... Watch it, Oliver warned. His hand was still on Knight's head, and he and the rest of the cannons were watching the interview from their side of the room, making Eloise feel as if that snitch Ron had pinched had made its way into her stomach. He's very enthusiastic, Harry finished. Definitely enthusiastic. That's one word for it, joked Fred. Stark, raving madman is another, put in George. Do you feel Oliver's style has changed since school, Harry? asked Eloise. Harry laughed so hard he winced. No, not at all. He's, well, he's Oliver. Oliver, can you comment on that? Yes, I bloody well can. I treat my men right. Uh, right, men and women, he added, when Feroza coughed. Like the professional ruddy athletes they are, which is why we're undefeated. Yet you didn't hug Harry when he caught the snitch, although you've ambushed Ms. Knight after every game thus far. Can you tell me why that is? asked Eloise, knowing perfectly well what the answer was. Oliver dropped his hand from Knight's pillow and backed away, his mouth opening and closing on its own. Colin's camera flashed, and Oliver suddenly looked like a trapped animal. That's, that's, he stammered, that's, ha, ha, ow, 
said Harry, wincing from laughter again. Oliver, that's fine. I don't feel bad that you didn't try to hug me. Honestly, it's okay to break that, uh, tradition. Marine Knight looked as if she wanted to disappear into her pillow. Midgen, you can't say, you can't print, stuttered Oliver. Don't worry, not tonight, said Eloise, letting a mischievous smile creep onto her face. Not this time, but we'll talk soon. Oliver nodded fervently. Eloise got the idea he just wanted out of the conversation, and that was fine. She had to finish her Harry exclusive before moving on to her Wood exclusive anyway. So, Harry, said Eloise, turning back, you haven't played a game since school, but you've scrimmaged with the cannons. Was this game what you expected playing professional Quidditch to be like? I never really... He answered slowly, and as he struggled for more words, he began to look tense. I never really expected it. I mean, I don't think I ever thought... I, I don't think I'd ever thought I'd play professional Quidditch. Even when I was trying out for the cannons, I never really... He looked over at Ginny. You never looked that far ahead, Ginny offered. Yeah. Harry relaxed. His eyes lingered on Ginny, and a half-smile touched his mouth. That's it. Eloise's quill was scratching away at top speed. And you just happened to be at the game tonight? Yeah. Ron has season tickets. Which she got for me, said Ron, pointing at Knight. Oliver looked down in surprise. That's right, Oliver, she said, grinning. I'm responsible for getting Harry to the game. I did go to the school for the sight, you know. She tapped her head with her hand. Knew this was going to happen. All part of my plan. Oliver rolled his eyes, and Eloise giggled. Did anyone else know you were second reserve, Harry? No. I didn't think I'd ever have to play. And Oliver, how did you decide to put Harry in over your first reserve? who, after all, has been practicing with you all season. Decide? There was no decide. He's Harry Potter. He's the only one with the talent to fill Knight's place. Knight looked up at Oliver in shock. What? I mean it. The cannon snickered wickedly in the background. That's right, you lot. Go ahead. We'll see who'll be running the drills tomorrow, Oliver warned. The room went quiet. Eloise turned back to Harry. Can you tell me about the last few minutes before the game? Sure. Harry shifted a little on his bed. Ginny quickly ran over and raised the top half so Harry could sit partially upright, and then gave Harry's good shoulder the briefest of touches before going back to her place next to Ron. Harry stirred at her touch and watched her as she walked away, a grateful look on his face. I only had a minute or two, he finally said. They gave me a uniform, and Oliver gave me a quick rundown of the competition. He warned me about the Kestrel's leprechaun gold tricks, but I don't think I really listened, obviously. Then he gave me one of his usual pep talks, and we went to the field. Any last-minute advice? A little, said Harry, looking sheepish. Oh, don't tell me, laughed George. He told him to... Get it or die trying, didn't you, Oliver? Oh, Eloise, I don't know if you knew. Back in fourth year, Oliver here thought it would be inspiring to tell Harry to get the snitch or die trying. And Harry here is always so obliging. 
Was it the match with the rogue bludger? Right in one, said George. We told him what a stupid thing it was to say, but that's Oliver. Get it or die trying. Honestly. And then Harry here goes and almost dies. But he got the snitch, laughed Angelina. Harry always got the snitch. Yeah, despite the raving lunatic advice of raving lunatic captains, said George. So what was the advice this time, Harry? asked Eloise. It was, uh, Harry glanced briefly at Oliver. It was, get it or die trying. Eloise had to fight down a laugh as she watched everyone in the room turn to look blankly at Oliver. What? You're joking, said Fred. Oliver, don't you learn, man? What I learned is that that particular bit of advice has worked. Twice now, and Harry did not die. Third time's a charm, muttered Ron. Do us all a favor and don't play next time he says that. Okay, Harry? Okay, Harry laughed. Harry was looking more relaxed than Eloise had ever seen him. Perhaps it was the time to start asking the real questions. If Jinny would let her. She took a deep breath. Harry, you... She started, choosing her words carefully. You've done a lot for the wizarding world. Jinny didn't seem angry. Harry inspected his bed covers. Eloise plunged ahead. People just expect great things from you at this point. Do you ever feel that pressure? Harry's eyes darkened, but only a little. He seemed to draw breath into himself. People expect... I don't know what people expect. What do you think they expect? I don't know. I'm sorry, I just... I think they're just happy things are the way they are. Aren't you? said Eloise gently. Yeah, of course I am, said Harry, and his face clouded over. He didn't say anything else for a few seconds, and Eloise felt sure he was about to clam up for the rest of the interview. But he drew another ragged breath and looked up again. But I didn't do, you know... Everything everyone says I did. For a second, Eloise couldn't think of a thing to say. No one else seemed to be offering helpful hints, either. Everyone was either looking at her or at Harry, wearing various levels of intrigue. Colin's camera was silent. They all knew what Harry had done. Harry seemed to be the only one who did not. What do you think you did, Harry? Harry shrugged. I think... I had a lot of help. I think. I have a lot of friends. He looked down at his hands. Family, Sirius corrected hoarsely. Angelina gave a suspicious snuffle and settled into Fred's embrace. Ginny leaned against Ron's chest, a content look on her face. Ron slung a lanky arm around her shoulders and rested his chin on top of her head. Eloise thought she would burst into tears, but she bit it back. It was getting late, and Harry was loosening up. She had to keep going. Harry, that brings me to my next question. Your friends have certainly become your family. What do you think brought you to them? Harry leaned back on his pillows. Your questions were easier this summer, he said weakly. Ah, but you didn't get to see the whole list. Right. Ginny, go scratch off all Eloise's questions, said Ron, 
but Jinny didn't laugh with the rest. I wouldn't, she said quietly. Harry, you know you can choose not to answer if you want, right? said Eloise. Anything you say that you don't want me to use, I won't. Really? Harry looked as if he had never heard of a stranger thing than journalistic ethics. It would have made Eloise laugh if it weren't so sad. Really, Harry? But it's okay. I won't. After what you did for Ron, if you need me to answer questions, I will. Can you repeat the last one again? Sure, said Eloise, in awe that one tiny factual follow-up story had meant so much to the Weasleys. What do you think brought you to the Weasleys? Easy, said Harry, sitting up, suddenly quite bright. The hair! You really can't miss it, can you? But honestly, said Harry soberly, when the giggles and jeers had died down, I think it was just luck. From across the room, Ginny gave Eloise an encouraging smile. Eloise smiled back, and as she asked her next question, and Harry answered, even more candidly than he had before, everything else faded away. She settled in to have a nice long conversation, not even hearing the scratch of her quill as it set down material for what was quickly becoming the story of her life.